He's the one that loved you enough that even when you were in your trespasses and your sins, He was still willing to come to the cross of Calvary and die in your place. And at that time, you had not even yet accepted Him as your Savior. You had not yet put your faith in Him, and He was still willing to do that, to make it possible for you to be saved. There are so many people in this world today that deny uh, the gift, the wonderful gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. They reject it. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I want to tell you there's no greater love in all the world than the love that God has for you. And He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That all would put their faith and their trust in Him. He didn't come to condemn the world. He came that the world through Him might be saved. And uh, I think so often in the world, they get this mindset that God is the one bringing destruction on the world. And while His justice certainly demands payment of sin, it was men who willingly chose that. God came to bring deliverance from it. God came to bring salvation from it. And uh, I, I would encourage you, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I would go so far as to say I would plead with you today to get that matter settled before it's too late. To put your faith in what Christ did for you on Calvary, the fact that He died in your place as a substitute. That death that should have been ours, He took it. The suffering, the pain... The judgment of God, the wrath of God that should have been on us, He took it upon Himself so that you and I would not have to go through those things. And He offers it freely to you. That's what I don't understand why so many reject it. It's not like He's charging you anything for it, making you pay for it. He offers it to you freely. Yet so many are blinded by the deceit of Satan that they think that there's some gimmick to it or that there's something way beyond what God is offering here that's going to cost them too much. And the truth is, they don't realize all that they gain through trusting Christ as their Savior. I would urge you, if you've never done that today, I, I, I know people that say, well, I'll make it to heaven because I'm going to live a better life than I do bad. And my good is going to outweigh my bad. Can I tell you, my friend, I don't care how much good you do in this life, you're not going to make it to heaven if that's what you're trusting. Some people say, well, I'm going to belong to this church or that church. If that's what you're trusting to get you to heaven, you're not going to make it. You're still under the condemnation of sin. If you say, well, I'm going to trust the fact that I got baptized when I was a kid. My mom and dad, when I was a baby, they had me baptized. Uh, can I tell you, that's not going to get you to heaven. There's only one way, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ and putting your faith in what He did for you on Calvary. Trusting Him to give you forgiveness of your sin and salvation from the wrath of God, the judgment of God. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if you will. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. The Apostle Paul is uh, writing here. We spent the last three weeks actually now studying both letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. And uh, today we were dealing with the fact that God owns us. And he deals with this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. As we get to verse number 19, he says, What? And then he makes a statement. And the word what here is, it's not really a question that he's asking. 
uh, he's not expecting an answer from it. It is an expression of, of unbelief, that he can't believe that Christians wouldn't already know this. He said, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with the price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Father, we pray that you'll bless the preaching of your word today. And Lord, help us for the next few moments as we look into its pages to understand the truth to have the hunger and the thirst and the desire to know it and to obey it. So bless all that we say and do. May your Holy Spirit do a work that is so needful in our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I know we live in a day where it seems like the prevailing philosophy is that we can live our life however we would choose to live it because God knows my heart. How many of you have heard somebody say something like that? Well, God knows my heart. Uh, how many of you actually said something like that? I, my hand's up too. I've said that before. God knows my heart. Um, but the truth is, because we are the temple of the Holy Ghost, Paul says that we're to glorify Him not just in our spirit. We're to glorify Him also in our bodies. I just spent a few moments sharing with you the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ came to this world not to condemn men, but to save men. He went to a cross and was crucified, one of the most cruel deaths that could ever be imagined. He had been beaten, he had been scorned, he had been ridiculed. Most importantly, the, the Bible teaches that God took all of the sin and laid it upon him. He became sin who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God. The very fact that the one who cannot stand sin and cannot tolerate sin, his justice and his holiness demand a penalty for sin, was willing to take it upon Himself, that which you and I had done, and to give us forgiveness of that thing, and to pay His own sense of justice for that sin, to pay it Himself, is an amazing miracle. And when Calvary took place, and the Lord Jesus Christ died upon the cross, and then was buried in a tomb, and three days later rose triumphant over death and hell and the grave, and gives to us the offer of eternal life and forgiveness of sin, that when the Lord Jesus Christ did that, and a person places their faith and trust in Him, the Bible tells us here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, that we immediately, at that moment in time, become the temple of the Holy Ghost. I have spent a lot of time over the years reading in the Old Testament of God establishing the tabernacle when the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness and how that for years they didn't even have a permanent temple. They kept the tabernacle for a long time, even after they came into the promised land. And then we have Solomon and David planning and building the temple, a permanent structure for God to reside in among His people. And I've often thought of the things that God spoke about when He dealt with the way that the tabernacle was to be built and the way that the temple was to be built and laid out and the functions of it. And then I read in Hebrews how that these things were shadows and pictures of a tabernacle that is in the heavens, not made with hands of men. And the idea that God still has a place in the heavens where there is a mercy seat that the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ got sprinkled on. 
But one of the most amazing things to me in Scripture is not only has there been an Old Testament temple and tabernacle that the Israelites had, and not only is there a temple in heaven the Bible speaks about that was not made with hands, but right here and now in this life, the Bible says that you and I are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Because of the fact that you and I are the temple of the Holy Ghost, there are some things that as we know that truth, we need to be aware of. Because there were very, very serious uh, uh, rules and, and ramifications and things that, that were to take place with regards to the tabernacle and later the temple regarding its holiness and its purity, the fact that, that it's uh, there for God's glory and God's presence. And I want us to look at a few things today in light of the picture in the Old Testament uh, of the tabernacle and the temple versus us today being the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I want us to look at several areas that I think are very critical for you and I to be aware of when we understand that we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. The first one I want us to look at is this, that because we are the temple of the Holy Ghost that lives inside of us, it is demanded of us that there be purity and separation from worldly lusts and carnality. The, the temple of God was to remain pure. They had a, a place where the, the, the people that would come into the temple for uh, their sacrifices would gather out in the courtyard. And then they had the place where uh, there was the laver and the altar where the sacrifice was made. And then the priests would take the blood that was spilt and they would take it into the holy place. And inside there was a sectioned off area that was called the holiest of holies. And inside there the high priest was only to go one time a year and to take the blood of atonement and to sprinkle it on the altar and the mercy seat that was in there uh, in the Holy of Holies. One of the key things in that whole process was the purity of the temple and the tabernacle. As the priests would make uh, these, these sacrifices, they would have to wash themselves a certain way. And they would have to put on clean garments, garments that were not spotted, and they were to come into the holiest of holies with a purity of heart and a purity of mind and a purity of body uh, and to show the reverence that was due to the very presence of the place where the very presence of God resided. And that being in mind, if we take that same mindset towards the fact that you and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit, I believe that quite easily it can be shown from Scripture that you and I are to do everything that we can possibly do to keep our lives pure and unspotted from the world. That there needs to be a holiness among God's people. There needs to be a revival in our hearts. There needs to be an understanding and a consciousness daily in every moment of every day that God is living inside of me. His Holy Spirit is residing inside of me. And as such, this temple needs to remain pure. It needs to be unspotted. It needs to be separate from the, the world and the lust of the world and the carnality of the world. And this body, above everything else in this world, must have a desire to remain pure because it is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. We, we lean so much on the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives, His direction in our life, His, His, uh, uh, His uh, power in our life. Uh, his comfort in our life. All of the, the things that the, that the Holy Spirit does in a believer's life, uh, we oftentimes are guilty of quenching and grieving Him because we bring in uh, unworld, ungodliness and worldliness into our lives and, and we, begin to, we begin to live in such a way that the truth is, at best, sometimes we're living a carnal Christian life. 
And yet Paul says we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're the very place where He resides. God took the matter seriously in the Old Testament. He takes it seriously in the New Testament. In fact, the high priest that came into that place had to be unspotted. And when he walked into the Holy of Holies, he walked in backwards through the veil that was about a a foot thick or so. And he walked through this veil and they would tie uh, bells on the bottom of his his, uh, garment, his priestly garment. And they would tie a scarlet cord to his ankle. And as he walked into that Holy of Holies, if there were imperfections and impurities found in his heart, in his preparation, God struck him dead for it. The reason they tied the cord and the bells were to continue to hear this priest moving around doing his priestly duties in the, in the holiest of holies so that if he died in there, and some did, that there was not anyone who could go in there after him. They would have to pull the cord and pull him out through that way. Why? Because God took very serious the matter of holiness in His presence. Now, I don't think we have to become holy in order to be saved. But there ought to be a desire in every Christian's heart to be holy like God is holy in our lives. You say, Pastor, I'll never make it that far. Neither will I. But it ought to be the pursuit of our life. It ought to be the passion of our heart. Lord, I want to be holy. I want to be pure. I want to be clean. Because you're living and residing inside of this body. Because of Calvary, I become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Because I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit, it demands a sense of purity, a separation from the world. Secondly, It demands a separation to Christ. By that, I simply mean this, that we are to do all that we can to lift Him up and to make His presence known. When the tabernacle was built in the wilderness, when they completed it and they had the the day of dedication for it, the Bible says that the Shekinah glory of God came and filled the Holy of Holies. And this pillar of cloud by day and this pillar of fire by night showed them the presence of God in their midst. And can I tell you this, that because we are the temple of the Holy Ghost, we have a responsibility to not only separate ourselves from the world, but to separate ourselves to Christ so that we can be a shining example of His glory. Not something that we've accomplished in our lives, I don't, I don't like the idea when I hear people say uh, that, that a person ought to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps or they, they have these self-help. And there, there are men that will stand behind uh, pulpits of so-called churches today that will do nothing more than teach people how to uh, have self-help and to have uh, encouraging words that will help you get the best out of your life. Can I tell you, just be a temple that is separated not only from the world, but separated to Christ. That in all things of my life, I want to have a sense of holiness so that I don't defile my testimony, which is going to point men to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm to be a light to the world. And if I am a temple, we need to have a, we need to have a revival. We need to have a return of God's people to this idea that I'm a temple. I'm not just a, a body, a shell, a, a Christian that's walking around in this world. I'm not just a, a, a salt that's... Uh, that's uh, trying to be the salt of the earth or a candle that is set on a hill. I am the very temple of the Holy Spirit of God. 
When we walked in here today, the Holy Spirit came into this room because He resides inside of each of us. There needs to be a holiness about us, a separation from the world, but secondly, there needs to be a separation unto Christ that I live my life to be as pleasing to Him as I possibly can. And that is my goal. That ought to be the, the, the desire of my heart. That ought to be the thing that I'm passionate about. For me to live, Paul said, is Christ. My life is to point men to Him. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Oh, that we would learn to be a temple once again of the Holy Ghost and that we would, we would know this. In fact, Paul, when he's speaking to the church at Corinth, he says, What? <laughs> know ye not? That your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God. Ye are not your own. He, he, he looks as though you guys ought to know this. This ought to be something plain. And the, the thing that I find often in my life is I forget so quickly that this body, this flesh, this life that is living on this side of heaven is a temple of the Holy Ghost. That it is to be, it is to be a holy temple, a sanctified temple. That there is to be a, a passion and a desire to live holy. And there is to be a passion and a desire to live for the things that God wants me to live for. To follow His Word and being all that I should be for Him. Because I am a temple of the Holy Ghost, it demands that I have the proper labor for the Lord. Hold your place in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 for a moment. Let's turn back a few chapters. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, if you will. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, and let's look in verse number 9. 1 Corinthians, let's, let's start in verse number 1. This is such a good passage, I don't want you to miss any of it. We'll start in verse number 1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. So he's, he's dealing here with two types of Christians. He's dealing with the brethren, so both of them are saved. But one is spiritual, one is carnal. He... he he marks them by what they are able to feed on. The spiritual are able to have strong meat. The carnal can have only the milk of the Word. Notice it says in verse 2, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, hitherto, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal, and whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Boy, if those are three things that he brings up that he looks at and says, if these things are in you, you're carnal, I have to look at my life and say, how often am I carnal? How often do I have envying? How often do I have strife? How often do I have division? By the way, you will too. You'll have to look at those same things in your life. Does that mean then we're carnal? Quite possibly. You say, Pastor, I don't like you calling me carnal. I didn't. Paul did. He calls me that too, if I'm that way. We're all in this boat together. Look what he says here in verse number 4. For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Notice this. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. 
Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own what? Labor. Does our labor produce increase? No. It just produces obedience. God gives the increase through our labor. But it is not our labor that produces it. Our labor is nothing more than obedience to Christ. Notice what he says here as we get to verse number 9. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's what? Sounds like a temple to me, doesn't it? Because of Calvary, I am the temple of the Holy Ghost. That temple demands holiness and reverence. It demands not only separating from the world, but separating to Christ. But secondly, or thirdly, it requires that you and I labor for the cause of Christ. We labor for the cause of Christ. Thirdly, I want you to notice, because of the fact that I am the temple of the Holy Ghost, that it demands accountability to God. Look with me in chapter number 4, if you will. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 1. Let, let a man so account of us as, of ministers of, as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of, of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not my own self, for I know nothing by myself. Yet am I not hereby justified? He that judgeth me is who? The Lord. What's He judging me for? What's He judging me for? My labor. My stewardship. I'm a temple of the Holy Ghost. That means I am to be pure. I'm to be holy. I'm to be separated from the world. Don't, don't get this mindset. Don't let these men that stand up and teach you. It doesn't matter about your outside. only thing that matters is your heart. Can I tell you this? The body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. It demands holiness. It demands unspottedness from the world. When men look at us and we name the name of Christ, they say, I don't see much of a difference in that life. Or they're going to look at it and say, boy, God is sure glorified in that life. Why? Because that's where they consider the Holy Spirit to live. That's where the Bible tells us He lives. I'm to be unspotted from the world. I'm to be separated to Christ. I'm to labor for Him. And I am accountable for that labor, not to you, and you're not accountable to me for your labor. But we are accountable to Him. We are accountable to Him. He's the one that's going to judge it. There was another thing that took place when God sent Christ to down Calvary. Not only did we become the Holy Spirit of God, but He also delivers you and I from sin. The bondage of sin... Uh, the fact that we were under this this law of sin and death, and sin reigned. It, it was the ruler, the Bible says in Romans chapter 6, it was reigning in our mortal bodies. We were obeying the lust of it right and left because it was the, the throne of, is on the throne of our hearts. But when we got saved, God brought deliverance from that. I want us to look at a couple verses here, if you will, and we'll finish up probably early today. But let's look in chapter number 10, if you will. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. <clears throat> not only am I the temple of God, and that brings some demands in and of itself, 
But I've also been delivered from the bondage of sin. Notice what it says here in chapter 10 and verse number 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh uh, he standeth take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is, what's the next word here? Common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be attempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Now, we oftentimes use this verse to say, well, God won't put anything more in me, on me in my life than I can bear. That's not true from this passage. In fact, Paul got to a place in his life where he said it'd be better if God would just take me and let me die. There are times that God does put more on us than we can bear for the purpose of getting us to turn to Him for the strength we need to get through it. It's not talking about circumstances of life. It's talking here about the temptation in the area of sin. That this temptation that is spoken of here is not a general testing of our life, but literally being tempted to sin. And notice as he says here in verse number 12, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. I was delivered from sin when God died on Calvary. I put my faith and trust in Him, and He gave me redemption from my sin. He delivered me from the bondage or from sin ruling in my life. He now gives me a way of escape. He now affords me the opportunity to say, I'm not going to sin anymore. I've got that choice now, and aren't we glad of that? And notice as we get down here that He gives a warning, first of all. He says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. In other words, once we're saved, just because we've been delivered from sin, doesn't mean that we won't ever sin again. It means that we've been given the ability to not sin at our own choosing. And when we get to the place where we think that we do not need to worry about our sin, when we do not think that we need to be on guard for temptation, that that's one of the most dangerous times of our lives. Because Paul said, when we get to that point where we think we stand, he said, you better take heed, lest you fall. He gives us a warning. There are two things that will cause us to, to be overconfident in this area of uh, being delivered from sin in this world. There are two things that will help us, or that will cause us to become overconfident. Number one is we will begin trusting in our own flesh. We begin to trust again in our own flesh. I remember a number of years ago, I um, was uh, directing the choir at our church in Florida. And there was a fellow that I remember as a kid years, years ago when I was a little, little kid. He, he and his wife used to come to our church. They were good friends of ours. and They, uh, they left our church. I don't know what happened. I, I never knew the reasons for it. But they left our church when I was probably seven or eight years old. And uh, they had they'd gotten away from the Lord and, and didn't go to church at all. Didn't, just really got uh, very cold and callous to the things of the Lord. And uh, when I was, I guess, in college, just coming out of college, they came back and visited our church, and then they started coming again. They got their hearts right with the Lord. They started thriving. They started growing in the Christian life. They joined the choir, and I remember the, the husband of the family, he was, he was a lot older than I was at the time, and uh, we were talking one night before uh, choir practice in the choir loft, and we're sitting back there, and I, I said, boy, it's just so good to have you all back. And he said, you know, he said, we were away from the Lord for a long time. He started to share a little bit of his testimony. 
He said it was the most miserable time of our lives. He said, but boy, when we, <coughs> when we came back and God got a hold of our hearts, boy, life has been so much better now. And he made this statement. He said, and he looked at, he looked at me and he said, Brother Greg, he said, one thing you don't ever have to worry about is us. You'll never have to worry about us again. We've been down that road. We've seen the problems. And we see the joy that God brings to our lives. And he made the statement, you'll never have to worry about us again. And it was just a few months later that they got upset over something and left and never, as far as I know to this day, still don't go to church. They're as cold to the things of the Lord as you could ever imagine. Why? Because they began to trust in the flesh. They began to trust in their own desires and their own reasoning and their own logic. Can I tell you this, that every single day of our lives, you and I are confronted with forces that are far greater than our willpower. Satan brings enticement. Satan brings pressure to bear upon us in the area of temptation. And I'll be real frank with you, even though we know that we wrestle against flesh and blood, or not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, even though we know those things, oftentimes we don't have the strength within ourselves to withstand them. That's why every day it is vitally important that we yield ourselves to the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives and say, Lord, I'm not going to make it through this day if you don't help me. I want your direction. I want your leadership. I'm going to come to this book and I'm going to trust that Psalm 119 tells me true when it says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Or to read, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's going to help keep me from the sin of this world. And I'm going to trust the strength that God gives to me, not my own strength. Why? Because if I trust my own strength, I get overconfident. I might get to the place where I'd say, you'll never have to worry about me again. Paul said, let he that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. There's another thing that will cause us to have overconfidence, not only in trusting in our flesh, but when we grow weary of the admonishment of God's Word. I think, I, I, I'm going to say something here. I think we could all probably say that there have been times that that's happened in our life. I'm saying that because I know I've had it in my life. And I'm hoping I'm not the only one in this room that's ever been there. But there are times that we weary of God's Word. I'm not saying we forsake it entirely, but aren't there, aren't there times that we just don't have that same passion and desire to come to God's Word to see what it says than others? Aren't there those times that we kind of know we're supposed to, so we do, and we just don't thrill at the things of the Lord anymore as we come to His Word? When we began to weary of its admonishment, we began to get overconfident. Well, I don't really need the Bible as much. I'm on the mountaintop right now. I don't really have any problems I need to battle. Things are going well. I can put it on spiritual cruise control, and I don't really need to fight and labor in the battle of the Christian life anymore. We become overconfident. And Paul says, Let he that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. And I want you to notice not only does he give a warning of overconfidence, but he gives us a promise of escape. He gives us the promise of escape. I don't need to re-preach verse 13 to you. Most of you that are Christians could probably quote the verse by heart. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. By the way, aren't we glad He is? 
who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with that temptation also make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. When Christ died on Calvary and I trusted Him as my Savior, two things happened. I became a temple of the Holy Ghost. And He delivered me from sin reigning in this mortal body. Let's live like it. Let's live every day with the mindset, I am a temple. My life, my body, not just my spirit, but even my body, needs to exemplify what a temple of God should be. He lives here. The Holy Spirit of God is right here in this body. It needs to have purity and holiness. It needs to be committed and consecrated to the Lord Jesus to do everything possible to lift Him up and bring men to Him. It needs to be involved in laboring for the Master. It needs to understand every single moment of every single day that every action I do in my life, I am accountable to Him for. I don't know how many times over the years in talking with people and counseling with people that I've heard something along the lines of, well, I'm only hurting myself. They're living a certain way and you show them from God's Word. Well, that's my choice, isn't it? It's not hurting anybody but me. No, it is. It is hurting someone beside you. Our actions never affect only us, but they'll affect those around us. We need to live with the idea in mind that we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Unless you say, well, I can't do that. I can't live holy. I can't live pleasing. You need to live with the promise in mind that He has delivered us from the power of sin. Every sin we do today, we do because we choose to do it. Not because it overwhelmed us. Not because it was more than I could bear. But because I willingly got in the flesh, became carnal, and said, I'm going to do it even though I know better. Folks, I believe that God's people would live far different, far different, if we could live with these two truths in mind every moment of every day. It might even be such that we might once again become salt that has savor. It, it might, once again, cause us to be a light to this world and not the mockery and the ridicule of it. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. Lord, so much more needs to and could be said. And yet, Lord, I pray that the truth of this passage will sink into us, that we will understand and, and know it well, and to 